Hello and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host on the sports podcast, Mitch Michaels. And thanks again, as always, for joining me. We're midweek Wednesday. Got a big holiday weekend in Memorial Day coming up this weekend. And I got a good show planned for you today. We're going to talk NBA and NHL playoffs. First up, my buddy from up in Seattle now, Joe Crisali. We're going to talk about Game 7 coming up in the Lightning and Capital Series. What a series it's been. Capitals looked like a premier team. Tampa Bay, Vasilevsky, and Stamkos with some timely goals have battled back in this series, but it's the Capitals who won Game 6. We'll break down that. Who needs to step up tonight? And we got to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights, one of the best sports stories you'll ever see in the history of sports. There has been anything quite like this, an expansion franchise making the Stanley Cup in its first year. We talk about all of that and more. And then I'm going to chat with my good buddy from college, Ryan Souls, about the NBA playoffs, Celtics and Cavs locked at two, as well as the Warriors and Rockets. We recorded that yesterday. We were both uh, not really expecting what went down in the Rockets evening up that series. All that and more on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect to talk hockey and to beat a confession out of me to where I was wrong on one particular team in the NHL, Joe Crisali, all the <laughs> way up from Seattle. Joe, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. What's going on? I got to start there, man. I'm a man of my word. Uh, I like to think I'm right at least half the time. Uh, this was a case where it was clearly not one of them. I thought Vegas would be exposed in the playoffs, except... They were the ones, on the contrary, doing the exposing. They meet, they beat the Winnipeg Jets in five games to get to the conference final. They've only lost three games this entire postseason. Three games. Three games. It's got to be one of the best story sports stories ever, right? Like at this point, like I'm not going to break out the list, but definitely recent memory. You'd think it's one of the most improbable stories in the expansion franchise making the Stanley Cup final in their first year. It's unbelievable, man. A, a team coming from basically what everyone else described as scrubs from every every other team, and they come on and they just somehow mesh together well enough to go to the cup final. It's it's insane. I was telling you earlier, uh, I was reading on some dude was getting his Twitter fingers all happy, tweeting about how the Knights were given an All Star team, and I just my eyes were like, did I did I read that correctly? <laughs> They were given a goalie who everyone thought was going to be past his prime because he hasn't done anything in the playoffs for the Penguins in the last however many years. And then he just goes and he just becomes one of the best. He just re- rediscovers that he's one of the best goalies in the league. And then the way that the whole team just spun together, and I know you're shooting yourself over Wild Bill, but yeah, well, they're, and they, they didn't even get their best production. You, everyone assumed was going to come out of James Neal, but he wasn't even their their best player. I, I want to say a couple things in particular. One being that the, nobody, even after the draft, thought that they had an all-star team. I know it's different. It's different uh, than it was in the past for expansion franchises, but nobody was tooting the horn saying this is an all-star team after the uh, draft. They thought they'd be dead last in, in the entire league. I think They literally part, yeah. said, the, the Knights literally said, you know, fans, stay with us. We'll be a competitive team for three years, and maybe we'll make a playoff push in five years. <laughs> they say it's in writing. 
Yeah, I look. I I know it's I know it's ridiculous, and we're seeing something bo- totally historic. But I think the best quote that was said was actually by Tampa Bay coach John Cooper when he said, "It's not a Cinderella story. It's a great story, but not Cinderella because what they did was they got a great GM, an unreal GM," he said, "and an unreal coach." So that's the basis for a lot of success in this league. George McPhee, phenomenal job. What he's been able to do, how he decided to build the roster in this day and age. And Gallant, who the Panthers just kicked to the side of the curb, put him in a taxi, didn't even give him a ride to the airport, and now he's in the Stanley Cup final. So I do think that it took some vision. It took you know a little bit of luck maybe, but those guys saw what they wanted to build. I don't know if they saw it turning out like this, but when you have – good people at the top of your organization it definitely helps absolutely i just i i know that like wild bill carlson i don't think a lot of people saw this coming uh, maybe he was hamstrung by tortorella uh in his position there colin miller and, and riley smith is another one i should say that's having another great year um they found players that were undervalued the the golden misfits name is true because either they weren't at all appreciated or they just weren't valued as well as they should have been. I, I don't I don't want to say that these teams across the league thought these guys were scrubs because I think to be in the NHL and to, to be consistent NHL players, you have to have a lot of talent. But they didn't – they thought they were expendable. They thought, oh, we got all – this guy's third, fourth liner. We don't really need him. And when everyone in the locker room is picking against you and you rally together and find that common ground, I mean, it's something special. One of the players I didn't really understand that made it them was March itself. I mean, what's he was Florida the Panthers. Doing? <laughs> he was the Panthers' leading goal scorer. <laughs> That's what I don't get. Right, like you can you can rationalize. Wild Bill Carlson six goals last year, breaking out this year. Tuck another player that had found his rhythm. Even Riley Smith to a degree. March so had thirty goals last year. Like he was a proven yeah. commodity. And they said, "Oh no." We don't need those 30 goals. We'll take 30 less goals next year. We don't want those. Uh, and the Knights were like, okay, we'll, we'll take those 30 goals and we'll raise you 40 assists. Like, the guy's been ridiculous all year, and he's coming up in the clutch for them throughout the whole throughout the whole playoffs. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury we have to talk about because it's some of the best goaltending. Definitely his career, but some of the best goaltending that I've ever seen. I mean, when you factor in just how good he's been, but also, Joe, in elimination games on the road, he's given up exactly one goal in three closeout games. <laughs> shuts insane. him down. Absolutely shuts him down. He's, you know, because just for the record, I know the Jets, we'll get into them in a second. This was a close series, even though it only went five games. These games were mostly close. Some of the save sequences were at pressure moments where the Jets were on full tilt. Game three, I think it was, where he made probably the best safe sequence of the playoffs, stopping the one puck with his pad and then diving across the net. Yep, yep. He's he just, just swatted it out of there. He said, get this out of here. His confidence is amazing. He he is a goalie that thrives on that. He has a very upbeat attitude. And you could tell that this team's rallying around him. It, it's going to be tough to score on these guys, not only because they're fast, but because Flurry and the defenseman in front of them. I mean, they're just – it is – Hard to break him down. The Jets had one game, game one, where they did that, and nothing after that. Absolutely nothing. He's been a stone wall. The only thing that <laughs> I just thought of that could be very upsetting is, say the Capitals make it past 
the Lightning and they win Game Seven and they and they go and they play the Knights. Everyone in the world, besides Capitals fans, is going to hate the Capitals if they beat the Knights and ruin <laughs> that story. Yeah, I you know that was the big issue there. I I hate the argument that something is good or bad for the NHL. I just don't like it. I mean, it's not built like this isn't this isn't the NBA where you have super teams being formed and it, it's I don't want to get into the intricacies of that, but a team like Vegas is great for the NHL. I think it is a good story. But having said that, I wouldn't be <laughs> absolutely devastated if they didn't win because again, they're still an expansion team and. If the Capitals win their cup, that's the first cup in their franchise history. So it is not like they're getting beat by the Blackhawks or the Penguins or, you know. So I don't think it's going to have that Very same true. ring of like, oh, if, if the Penguins three-peated, <laughs> that might be a little different. But we'll see. In Tampa Bay, I don't think people are, are – I think people, a lot of people are indifferent in general to them. But Vegas is quite the story. Um and you could tell, too, I like that quote that Gallant had where he's basically like, if a guy makes a mistake, like, we're not going to dog him. You're going to get a chance to make to earn it back. You see that in sports yeah. all the time where coaches just, maybe it's established coaches, too. They just think they have to they have to be the disciplinarian and they have to create a culture of maybe fear. But they're loose. Vegas is laughing. They're having fun. And it's definitely working. Yeah, they... I'm, I mean, regardless of who wins the East, I'm rooting for Vegas because one, the Tampa Bay Rangers, and then it's the Capitals. <laughs> so I don't want to see any of that. <laughs> the Tampa Bay Rangers, man, yeah. They they pulled a they pulled a full New York down there in Tampa Bay, getting yeah. all those big name talent players, and now they're like the highly touted team going in. So we'll see. I was a little di- I was a little disappointed to see my cup pick the Jets go out in five, but don't you think that seven game grueling series with Nashville had something to do with it? Took a lot out of them. I, I would think. think. Oh yeah, I would say so for sure. They were they were pretty drained, and then they were not, they were not keeping up with Vegas. Yeah, they were in a lot of these games. Flurry's tough to score on. Um, Vegas clearly the better team, but I do think that this is still a young team. Line A. Still very young. Ellers didn't do much, you know, him, himself. They're going to be back. The way they're built, I, I, postseason losses happen. This was uh, basic, This was their first playoff victory. Playoff, yeah, real, legit playoff victory came since becoming the Jets again this year. So I'd expect to see a lot of the Jets in the years to come. Yeah, that's for sure. I did like Bufflin, though. He had to like him bullying people around like they're throwing men around like a rag doll two at a time. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, he is a big body. He is a big body guy. Knock people around. Tri- grabbing two off of a pile, and then my favorite was James Neal crashes into his goalie, and he grabs him with one with one hand, pulls him out of there while he's yelling sorry the whole time. So, yeah, please don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. <laughs> it's crazy too. I mean, Ryan Reeves scores the game-winning goal. Ryan Reeves scores his first postseason goal. Didn't play most of the playoffs, and he has the goal that sends the Golden Knights to the Stanley Cup. It's just. It's insane. That's how hockey works, man. And how fun does that arena look, by the way? I mean, it's just incredible. Oh yeah, I definitely want to want to catch a game there. Just a giant party. There's a sword fighting beforehand. I don't think they yeah, a giant out. party. <laughs> that, you, people that, people <laughs> don't know. People don't know what offsides is. They don't know anything. <laughs> but 
awesome. There's Elvis's in the lower bowl. There's a bar at the top. I don't think they cut alcohol sales off. It's just a good time in Vegas figuring out hockey as they – what's the Stanley Cup? That'll be the next thing. You uh, can you can walk under the ice and somehow see through it and watch the game. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I definitely think so. Uh, but, Joe, let's talk now about the other series, the the Eastern Conference, the Washington Capitals versus the Tampa Bay Southeast Rangers on the Money Mitch Effect with Joe Crisale. We're at Game 7, and... I think a lot of people... We knew we were going to get here. <laughs> but not this way, right? It's like getting to a foreign destination by taking all back roads because we thought we would get here when the series started. But did we think we'd see four straight road victories, some out-of-this-world goaltending, and a team in Washington that I think clearly has been the better team for the majority of this series? Yeah, I don't think we expected it to be so topsy-turvy throughout like we knew what the Capitals were good at we knew what the Lightning were good at and they're both just they're just adjusting to the what the other team is struggling with and taking advantage of it but it's not happening all that often like you said though I just I, that's left stand on his head he's been playing amazing uh, this series has been very bizarre in a lot of ways game one the Capitals came out buzzing there was that Kucherov sick goal that didn't count because of too many men. Washington took the lead and just nursed it in with defense. The second game was one of the best games I've seen any team play, the way the Capitals were defending. But Tampa goes on the road, they win. They ride Vasilevsky hard, and, and he's able to get them in position, get game five at home after the Capitals don't really show up in the first couple minutes. Game six, though, the one that just took place, that was a dominant performance by Washington. And I looked at guys like Ovechkin, even Tom Wilson throwing bodies, Oshie. They did not – they were not going to lose that game. They were going to leave everything on the ice. Ovechkin was like a battering ram out there. And it just had the feel like there was one team that was more desperate than the other. I don't know what's going to happen in Game 7, but I think it was pretty obvious, barring some sort of miracle or, or travesty, that the Capitals were going to win Game 6. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they've just been getting it out of the players that have always been there for them, like Ovechkin. You knew he was going to play well, but the fact that he's doing all those little extra things, like knocking people around, going out to loose spots, playing defense, which he, his his defense is roughing people up. So, (laughs) but he's like back checking too, which is kind of weird. He's like back checking too, which is kind of weird to see. Both of these power plays have looked amazing. Tampa Bay used theirs to really get leads uh, in those two Washington road games that they won. Washington's power play might be my favorite that I've ever seen. It's up there. And I say that, Joe, because you have something in basically the biggest power play weapon I've ever seen in my lifetime in Alexander Ovechkin. When he's on that left point, teams fear him so much. It's like Ray Lewis running across the middle of the field back in his heyday that you have to shade so far to him because they know what's going to happen. If he gets the puck, he can just fire it. He gets his release off so quick. The Capitals' answer to teams overcommitting is to put a guy like T.J. Oshie in the slot. T.J. Oshie, one of the best hands in the league, he's never going to have an easier time in the slot than when they have to worry about Ovechkin. So you saw him score that goal in Game 6. I just think it's a very, very well-oiled machine. And I'll call it right now. I mean, I... 
teams that take dumb penalties in Game 7 are going to kill themselves. And I think it's more true than ever in this series. I mean, absolutely. Like you said, both teams have incredible power plays. So whoever has the man advantage has the advantage in the game. And whoever has it more often, is that's, that's who's going to win. Because you don't you don't usually ever see that happen where a team, you know, shorthanded goals come very far and very few of them. I think the Tampa Bay top line needs to play better uh, in this series in general. Kucherov just hasn't hasn't played to his high level of standard. Your boy, JT Miller, had a good first couple rounds, hasn't really played well since. I think Tampa Bay's depth is what needs to show up here because Washington does have some big bodies, and they like to rough you up. Smith Pelly just destroyed the Girardi yesterday in, in that game. Tampa Bay's not as physical, but they can definitely be faster, and I think they're going to need to use their depth. They can't just expect Vasilevsky to play the game of his life. That That's not... A great strategy. If it happens, great, but you can't count on that. Yeah, I mean, a goalie needs defense in front of him, doesn't he? <laughs> He's made some of the best saves of his career this playoff run, but you're playing with fire, right? Like, you know, there's eventually he's going to wear it down. This is seven games now. Washington keeps buzzing, and they are, in terms of a long-term outlook, Joe, we talked about how the window was, was closing on this team. They know that. So I think the Capitals, more than anybody, are feeling like it has to happen now. I mean, absolutely. I think Tampa Bay is feeling the exact same way, too. They got all these players that their contracts are, they got to make decisions on what they're going to do with them. And then, like you said, though, Washington, they're getting up there. Some of the players are getting up there in age. I mean, Ovechkin's been in the league for quite quite some time. And, uh, same with Backstrom, and they've had pretty much the same core together for, for a little bit, and you can tell, like, the window is closing. Like, when you're talking about guys like Devontae Smith-Pelly as being one of their better players, you know, they, they're they they're kind of on their, their way out. I guess this would be their – this is their big run to that cup. Tampa Bay might have a couple more in them because they've got a good core of young players that they refuse to give the Rangers like Sergachev, but I'll just let that go, I guess. End point. But you know, we'll give you we'll give up we'll give up J T Miller for uh, yeah. uh, anyway. Joe Crisali, Money Mitch Effect, before we get to game seven in particular, I do want to ask you about one other player in this series. What do you think about Holtby so far? It's been a weird ride, <laughs> to say the least, this postseason. How do you think he's looked? I mean he's he's so good one game. And then the next game, he looks like a completely different goalie. Am I right? right? Like yeah. it doesn't look like it doesn't look like he's as comfortable back there as, as he should be. I think I don't it's think weird he's that playing he's bad. I think away. I think Vasilevsky is just playing so amazing that we're marginalizing Holpe maybe more than we should. But he's he's a weird guy to figure out because he made some great saves last night too, um, in Game Six. But he doesn't. He doesn't show up, it seems like, for a full 60. Like, he starts out the game in, in Game 5 and then the start of Game 6 and just doesn't doesn't show up, lets some routine shots in. I thought it was funny that he got a lot of got a lot of crap for for using the Tampa Bay Lightning umbrella to get in the stadium. thought that was a pretty bad omen. <laughs> but, yeah, there was that big thunderstorm going on back there. I mean, they're going to need him to play well. They're going to need – both these teams need to start out hot and start out with their best foot forward, uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Before we make our picks, who are some players, and I'll go first here. I'm going to ask you who some players are 
that you think maybe under the radar players or, or, or not so under the radar players that need to have some big games in game seven. My Tampa Bay guy, I'm looking right at you. I've defended him for a while. Victor Hedman needs to play better because he's a good defenseman. Mm-hmm. He, he's a Norris candidate. I mean, obviously one of the better ones in the game. He's got to be tougher because I've watched him get pushed around a little more than I think a player of his caliber should. He's got to be a little more physical, stronger on his skates. Yeah, he's a big dude. You wouldn't expect that from him. Who do you think on Tampa, likewise, needs to play well at home if they're going to go to the final? Hmm. Why don't you just go with their big guy, Stamkos? Game seven, they need somebody to step up. Why would he not be the one to step up? Yeah, I would. You're right. I mean, he needs to play well. I'd say Kucherov, too. He's probably, I'd say, even more than Stammer because he's been there. You know, Stamkos has been in this game. He's been in this series. But, yeah, those are the guys. If, you're, if their big guns play with the way their goalies are looking, it might not be much more needed. You know, Especially I, because if they're, not, if they're not getting the same production out of J.T. Miller and, you know, all the other young guys that they got in that squad or even guys like Callahan or Kunis is on there now, if they're not getting production out of those guys, it needs to come from somewhere. And you need to look at your big guns for that. I'll tell you who I'm looking at on Washington. Kind of crazy how he's kind of gone under the radar in the last couple of years. He was hurt earlier this playoffs. But how about Nicky Backstrom? Because he missed a yeah. lot of time. And I thought he looked great last game. It didn't really show up on the stat sheet. But I thought he looked great. He's probably the best pure skater on this Washington team. And he's the guy that can keep up with Tampa when they go ultra fast. I want to see him play well. I want to see if the Capitals are going to win... I think they need him to keep it going to set up some of his teammates, the ultra facilitator. Still one of the perennially underrated players of his generation. He's a guy I'd look at. I think Ovechkin, you can block him in. He is going to play well. But I'd like to see Backstrom. That's the one guy that I think if he has a great game, then Washington becomes a multidimensional juggernaut up front. Yeah, I mean, hook, line, and sinker, you got him. I would say, I mean, another one probably... I look at the back line, guys like Carlson and Orlov. You know, Dmitry Orlov is a fascinating cat as well because he's got so much offensive skill. Like, it's stupid how talented he is. And, you know, you know they they could have left him unprotected in the uh, expansion draft. Vegas could have him right now. But with Orlov, what you trade for offense, you give up in defense because he's not the best. He's been walked a few times. He turns the puck over. So... A couple mistakes by him could be catastrophic, but he's also the guy that could just go end-to-end and just snipe Vasilevsky and break the floodgates open. Yeah, exactly. We'll see, man. I'm excited. Well, who do you got in this game? Who we, who we think is going to pull it out? Hmm. I, I think point... I'm going to go Washington. Okay, I wanted to point out, too, that they're underdogs, sizable underdogs in Vegas right now. Not in the Golden Knights locker room, but in the in the sports book. It's about plus one thirty. But yeah, I, I'm, I, high, I'm high rolling Washington. I picked Tampa to win this series, but I'm changing. I'm going to go Washington in Game Seven. I still trust. I know it's one game; anything can happen. But the Caps look better. They just look like they're playing better. They're a desperate team. It's been weird how they've how it's been going on so long. I know Tampa Bay could be the sleeping giant, but there may be some injuries in that locker room. I like the Caps to win this series. 
Should point out, Joe, that if the Capitals win this series, Vegas gets game one. Home ice advantage. Vegas doesn't just get game one. One and two, yeah, but they get one. You know, they get <laughs> home ice. Game one in Vegas. We know what I'm trying to say. Well, Tampa Bay, though, if they win. Game one in Vegas. Was that a line you thought you'd be saying today? No. This year? Never, never. And um, I guess i got to keep the streak continued by saying that I'd pick whoever comes out of the East to win the Stanley Cup. I don't think I, I don't think I necessarily agree with that if Tampa Bay wins. But if Washington wins and it's Washington versus Vegas, if Ovechkin – think about this, right? We were, we were having this discussion five, six years ago. How is Ovi going to get his first cup? What's it going to take? He's going to have to climb the mountain, slay the dragon, and the final stop is Las Vegas. <laughs> Sounds incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> I think there should be a bet. There should be a betting line where, at, before the season starts, the question is where will Game One be played, and you have to put the city. <laughs> there were five hundred to one, Joe, to start the season. Five hundred to one. You should have told me. I would have. I would have totally done it. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know. No, I definitely wouldn't. I would have said expansion team. You crazy, Joe Crisali, Money Mitch Effect. This was fun. I know we're both looking forward to Game Seven, which will air, which will be played the night of this episode dropping. Lastly, Joe, before I let you go, what do you think about the new head coach or the new rumored head coach, David Quinn? Officially, I think it's official now. Close to. It's official. It's pretty okay. official. They haven't announced it yet. Okay. They David Quinn, like Boston actually. University college coach. You like the move? Uh, all I can think about is the comparison to Brad Stevens, how well he's coached <laughs> the Celtics. I knew, I knew you were going to go one way or the other with this, either full-on on-board propaganda or just hate it miserably. So I'm glad you're you're thinking positively. I'm so thinking positively. They're they're going for a good young core of players, and they're bringing in a college coach to you know bring everyone together. So I'm I, very excited about. I didn't that realize because, he, yeah, I didn't realize yeah. that he finished his career with the Cleveland Lumberjacks in the IHL. That's kind of shocking. <laughs> but no, I I think this is a great hire. I mean, I think. He took over for Jerry York. I have that right. I know he took over in Boston University uh, in 2013, and he's done a good job with that program. He's got a lot of experience at different levels. He's coached Team USA Youth Hockey as well, and college coaches can have success in the NHL. You guys just needed something and different, and they will continue to. <laughs> yeah, you needed something different um, before. Parker. Why did I say York? I, I Par- York was at Boston Parker. College. It's Jack Parker was uh, yep. was the guy at Boston U. But no, I, I like this hire. It's something fresh. You guys were getting very stale the last couple of years. I like this hire. Just gotta. They're just trying to change the culture all the way throughout. Is Kovacek coming? So, back? I mean, it could be a total. It could be a total success, or it couldn't. But based off of everything that I've read about him and based off of how well his teams have played at BU. You know, when you think of D1 college hockey, you think of BU. So I'm uh, pretty excited about it. Yeah, he was a um, uh, um, an AHL coach for the Lake Erie Monsters, assistant in the NHL. I think he'll do well. I think he's uh, 
I think you guys got a, a chance there. It's going to be interesting, too. I'm more surprised with Lou Lamarillo on the Islanders. That's one that's kind of like, whoa. And then I'm thinking, is Tavares going to stay now? Yeah, I don't know if he'll stay there. I mean, I was I read some rumors that he might want to go to Montreal because they're looking for a center, but I don't see that happening. There were also some rumors about him going to the Rangers, but that would be very, very, very strange. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to like him now. That'd be weird. So. Oh, he's a great player. That'd be easy. <laughs> it certainly is. All right, Joe Crisali. This is fun. I know you'll be watching Game 7. We'll be probably texting during it. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, most likely. Can't wait. Stanley Cup next week in Vegas. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Thanks for joining the Money Mission. <laughs> good, good to be on. Thanks again to Joker Sally for calling into the show. Always good to talk hockey with him. His Rangers are on the come up we think but big game tonight please watch lightning capitals it's going to be as good as advertised that's my plea as a hockey fan to you vegas in the final and if, if the capitals win it is going to be home ice for vegas but either way there'll be stanley cup games on the strip who could have thought all right now it's time to talk hoops with ryan souls we break down the Cavs and the celtics last night though that rockets warriors game was our first competitive really competitive game in the conference final finals we were talking about it we were hopeful and it finally happened but we'll talk about both those series who has the edge going forward and then some football talk at the end i gotta sneak baker mayfield in there as well we talk where des bryant might end up as well money mitch effect ryan souls here it is now all right now joining us on the money mitch effect Welcome back to the show. Much anticipated return for my good buddy Ryan Souls. Ryan, welcome back and thanks for coming on the show. Man, I appreciate the welcome. Much anticipated. I'm uh, happy to be back too, man. Good to be talking sports with you. We have a lot to get to to catch up um, on in the sports world, but I want to start with this basketball season. We're rounding third and heading home to steal a metaphor from another sport and I'm going to be honest, there's been some great moments, but this playoffs has kind of, I don't want to say let me down, but it's left much more than is what's met the eye, in my opinion. The conference finals, especially, Ryan, there's been some great performances, but really, I've been kind of disappointed with the lack of close games. Do you share that same sentiment? Yeah, I do, and I, th- I share the same sentiment for a lot of the playoffs as a whole. This, I mean, leading up to the conference finals, I think we've seen some flashes, but the storylines we've had leading into the playoffs ended up kind of regressing to the chalk uh, that the seeding kind of said, with the exception of Cleveland. I mean, you kind of removed them, then been a four seed. You got LeBron James. You know, you got a chance against anybody. But, you know, Boston losing their arguably their two best players, you know, Kyrie 100% their best player, but, you know, still ended up the two seed and finishing in the final four of, you know, the NBA. That's kind of chalk, but that's parody considering what we expected leading in that, you know, maybe they get tripped up by Philadelphia. Uh, so I think, like, leading in, we've just we've seen chalk. Yeah, and, and I also... I would say we've seen chalk, but it's it's also the fact that, I mean, both of these series, Ryan, in an earlier series the same way, you didn't have full sweeps that were one-sided domination, but it just seems like, for whatever reason, the games themselves aren't close, whether it's a team being outclassed, not being able to play well on the road, 
a team, maybe Cleveland, dragging their feet getting into the series. Or in Golden State's case, they knew they had to get one win in Houston. They got it, and they just took game two off. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it's not necessarily the most entertaining prod- product I've watched in the postseason. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're on the same wavelength because and maybe we remember the highlights of, you know, the games of the 90s and the 80s and whatnot. But I can't remember so many seven game series in the last few years where they've gone seven games, but the series have been bad because every game has just been a blowout in the opposite direction. Last night, Cavs Celtics were recording this on Tuesday right before Warriors Rockets are about to play. And that was the first game, game four Cavs Celtics out of. Yeah, out of basically out of seven games in the conference final, that was single digits, and it was nine points on a garbage time layup by the Celtics. Right, right. So I mean, I, I mean, you can you can call them long series, but they're not good series. Well, let's start with that Cavs Celtics series, Ryan, and a lot to discuss here from from both teams' perspectives. But I want to start with this. I don't think anybody thought that a LeBron James led team would get swept. I just think it's a very fascinating dynamic to have a team so good at home that just seems to have the mental edge over the entire conference at home. Playing a young team, well-coached team, that for whatever reason has that same complex that the Cavs have, where at home they're untouchable this postseason, 9-0, and yet don't show up on the road. Right. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think there's a lot to be said for having you know, LeBron James against a team like the Boston Celtics, as good as we're projecting they're going to be, they are a better version of the Atlanta Hawks from a few years ago that won 60 games. And, you know, we've seen that playing this type of basketball where you don't have a guy that can just take over when you need a bucket can only get you so far uh, combined with some great coaching. Yeah, And I think, you know, as much as we've seen that record with the Celtics hold up with them not losing a game at home in the playoffs, have we ever said that about a team uh, leading to a game that's probably a must-win for them? Because if they lose tonight, I think it's over. Yeah, well, I get what you're saying with the comparison to the Hawks, but I want to disagree on a couple of fronts. First of all, that Hawks team got swept. (laughs) They did. they did. They didn't show up at all. And this is a team that, because of injury, don't have guys that can take over games. But I would also argue, too, they, they probably have guys that are a couple years away. Jalen oh, and Jason Tatum in a couple years are probably going to be able to take over games. I think Tatum for sure. Uh-huh. So I, I see that comparison. I think what you have is a young, inexperienced team and maybe a team that got a little comfortable up 2-0, especially in Game 3. I think Game 4, they just got outplayed in key stretches. Game 3, I think they... Saw they didn't have it early and just kind of mailed it in. Uh, and it was a desperate Cleveland team that knew that they needed to win. So uh, I, I would say I would say for the Cavs team, it's just so staggering. LeBron's been great all series, as expected, but it's just so staggering. I would also throw Love and Corver in there. But the rest of the role players, how they're just night and day to good, healthy contributors at home to just don't even show up on the road. It's just it's incredible. I agree 100%. I mean, these role players, you thought were going to have to carry this team a little further, and they, they've definitely stepped up in some big moments, but I don't think it matters, you know, really too much moving forward uh, if they beat Boston here, but oh, oh, I yeah. agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would, say, I would say, Ryan, 
that it matters in this series in this sense that they're going to have to have something in one of either a game five or a potential game seven. The one worry here, and I know everyone's, you know, it's funny how everyone's instant reaction was Cleveland's doom. Now they've got control of this series. There's mm-hmm. no outcome in this series where the Cavs win where they don't have at least one good game by some role players on the road. So that has to happen, and that would be the only worry if there is one. I think it's a justifiable worry that they have to have guys like J.R. Smith, George Hill, you know, Nance off the bench, whoever. They have to show up in Boston at least once. Yeah, I mean, and the big, and when we say show up, they got to make shots. That, that's the big thing. They got to make shots. LeBron can go for a 40 point triple double and you lose by double digits. You need role players. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. And what's the adage? Role players play better at home. Yeah, I think the crowd does make a, a slight difference for Boston, and I think part of that is, Ryan, we've talked about the psychology of fandom, and when there's no pressure, right, like when there's no pressure on your team, when losing is pretty much the expected outcome, which everyone expected Boston not even to be here, I think mm-hmm. that makes the crowd a little, I, I wouldn't say more animated, but there's not that nervous tension like a loss is catastrophic, like there's a lot riding on this. So I think when you play with house money in that sense, the crowd's not nervous. There's not any angst. They can just power through rough stretches. A lot of that does go to the coach of the team, Brad Stevens, too. But would you agree with that? Do you think the crowd just is kind of whatever? I mean, we want to win, but we don't need to? I agree. I think they um, there's screams and, and are a little freer. Uh, there, there's no there's no gas in, the t- in between the screams, so to speak. So I would, I would agree with that. Do you think that Ryan Soul's money Mitch effect? Do you think that the coaching mismatch is as big as advertised? Greater, less than between Brad Stevens and Ty Lue? And, and I guess I should ask: Do you think Ty Lue is actually even coaching this team? Well, I, I think that Ty Lue is an awful coach, but I don't <laughs> think that I don't think that has a ton to do with this series because of one of how how well Brad Stevens is using his pieces, but I think two. This is just the type of series that's set up for someone like LeBron James to just have a dominating effect, not psychologically, but I think physically on an entire team because they don't really have, they have players they can throw at LeBron, but they don't have any players that can really, really frustrate LeBron when he wants to get his shot. I mean, I, I, you know, you can throw Marcus Morris out there, but I think LeBron can get to the rack and get whatever he wants when he wants against anyone on that team. But I think that Brad Stevens now at this point has to counter to what LeBron is doing because I think LeBron countered to what Stevens did. And now it's going to be up to Stevens to counter and really who can make those adjust- adjustments quicker. You know what's funny is the only thing that's keeping me and I think a lot of people from saying Boston's completely screwed at this point is they did the same thing to the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. So whatever it is, this is just who they are in the postseason. They're a young team that plays really well at home that struggles on the road. So I yeah. think when you're not saying Bron, though. Yeah, I mean, but he's going to terrorize everybody. And he is. I just, I, I would, man, it's weird to say, but. Knowing that you have a team that can survive LeBron going for 40-plus, 50 even, I think that – I would say that the fact that you can bottle up, you have the athletes on the perimeter. You have the better overall team. I know it's LeBron James, and he deserves all the credit in the world for what he's been able to do, but you have a better overall team. You're more athletic. You can run 
better as well. So I, I don't, I'm not writing anybody off for dead. And the way the playoffs have gone, why should we? <laughs> you know? Yeah, oh, totally. But I just said, when it comes down to it, who on Boston is going to get the bucket? Right. No, that's fair. And, and that's where I think they struggle because defensively, it's impossible to shut down LeBron James. But in terms of him and other players on the team, I think their ability to switch, their flexibility on the roster with all those perimeter guys, I think that's what really makes life hard at home for maybe not so much LeBron, but the other players, that they can switch and still guard you. Yeah, well, I think LeBron's kind of figured out the switch because every time I saw it, it seems like Terry Rozier was getting switched on LeBron and he was really just right. having his way. Seems like some of those guys got to stay home, and I think that's an adjustment that Stevens probably is going to make. I don't think he'll. I, I you you got to mix them up, but I don't think you'll see as many switches on those picks unless. And maybe this is the play because they started Baines in game t- in game four. Maybe the play is more Marcus Smart at point guard and a lineup that basically can switch every position. If Rose I mean that makes sense. Play. Yeah, you can do that. You, right. I think. Uh, yeah, you lose a little bit of offense, but if you want to make it a uh, grindy, you know, try to just take the ball out of LeBron's hands every play, try to keep the score in the 80s, you know, that that might be a good strategy. Celtics just got to show up to start these games. I think that's part of it as well. I'll say, getting to the prediction before I move on to the West, I think the Cavs are going to win this series in seven. I think it's mm-hmm. going to be holding serve until game seven. I think the Cavs win tonight and I think they win game six. Okay. All right, I just I just want to point out as well, if the Cavs face an elimination game at any point in the series, there's going to be some tension, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, knowing that it could be his final game? 100%. Absolutely some tension. Okay. And I mean, I really think there's going to be some tension on both sides because I think the Celtics, and obviously it doesn't compare to the pressure that I think Cleveland will have, but the Celtics think they should be here. So I don't think at this point, you know, it, it's a surprise. They absolutely think they should be here. Yeah, but I do think that no one's going to look at this season and like, wow, even if they lose four straight, it's like you got to a game six with the Cavs, the three times. Oh, I agree. You know, and yeah, you didn't yeah. have Hayward or Kyrie. And, you know, we'll see. But a great job by Brad Stevens, who didn't get a single vote, Ryan, in Coach he of the Year. Yeah, that's some politics right there because – He's definitely the coach of the year, and I'm glad that uh, – I mean, him or Quinn Snyder, I don't want to slight him, but I'm glad that uh, the coaches don't have all the say in this because <laughs> – Would you want that award, though? I mean, everybody gets fired when they win that award. I mean, but I think Danny Ainge – Danny Ainge is a magician over here, and I think if he knows what he's doing, he's not – I mean, unless you're Greg Popovich, Phil Jackson, I mean, he got just he just got fired too. Everybody get fired at some point. So, you know, I, I think Brad Stevens, I think he's going to be around for a while. They got a bunch of young talent. I think, as Marlo from The Wire says, they got a bunch of good problems coming up this summer yeah. uh, with some of the guys they might have to, to move around. So regardless of what happens in this series, the future's bright. So the Celtics win this series, would that make – Ty Lue, Prop Joe, or how would that work? Oh, no. If the Celtics win this series, that makes Ty Lue cheese at the end with Slim Charles Gittin. Okay. All right. Like. <laughs> That's pretty violent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That yeah. was a little more sudden. I think we've seen this coming from Lou, but we'll, we'll see there. Um, all right, Ryan. Western Conference. 
about to tip off there in game four. The big news was no Iguodala playing tonight. We don't know what's happening. I'll I'll voice over whatever does happen later. But I, I wouldn't say I say I'm intrigued by this Warriors team. I'm trying to think of a better word because I think talent wise they're as good as any team I've ever seen. But they do have a tendency to maybe flip the switch or, or just coast. You think that's fair to say? I think that's fair to say. I think they get a little careless with the basketball. And I think especially with the Warriors, if you're a team like Houston who can score, if you get Golden State to, you know, commit two, three, you know, even four turnovers in a row, that's kind of how you get up on them and keep them at bay. But if they're sharing the ball, if they're being careful with the ball, I really don't think they have a weakness. But to answer your question, I do agree, but I think it's a lot of it's rooted to not taking care of the basketball. Yeah, I think that's fair. And teams can't be perfect every game, though Golden State is pretty close to that. I wasn't buying the the courier or the curry is hurt. Not I mean everybody's banged up usually this time of year. We can't hold people to standards of like LeBron or players of that caliber in terms of how much of a toll they're able to take and, and their size and whatnot. Well, let me interject because yeah. while I agree, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I do think that he's a little hurt, right. but I don't think that I don't think it's an excuse. But I do think coming off an MCL sprain, yeah, I think that his legs, he's probably still getting those okay, back. Yeah, and I no, think that's, it's kind of a weakness. that's more uh, fair. I think the I think the better description would have been he's not back to peak Curry. Yeah, but yeah. to say I don't, and I like Steph, you know that. I just don't think that it's fair. I don't think it. I don't think it should be say after every bad shooting performance. Oh, it must be hurt. You know. Oh, I agree. Hurt yeah. game three in the second half when he was going absolutely nuts. Not at all. So, I mean, it wasn't it seven shots in a row? Yeah, it's, it was. <laughs> uh, it was incredible, and uh, I think it was Broussard, Chris Broussard who said, "You know, they love Durant in the Bay Area, and when he gets going, but when Curry gets going, it's like it's basically like gospel." Yeah, it's a religious moment. It really is. Yeah, I still think. Uh, that team's that team's damn near impossible to guard for a lot of reasons. But when you have Kevin Durant, who's basically a cheat code with his wingspan, able to just run the game through him, and you have Curry, and you have to play off one of them, right? I mean, it's just mm-hmm. insane to say that you have to play off either the best shooter of all time or a top, definitely I think top ten player by now, player of all time in Durant, top fifteen, who's at the peak, who's figured it out, who's at that assassin mode, and then you have Clay that can ring in threes. I wasn't buying the Rockets as, and maybe I'll still be proven wrong, but as that legit, legit contender to the Warriors because I knew in the back of my mind, like a lot of people do, they had that extra gear. No, I never really bought them as a legit contender to them either. And I'm going to bring up a point that Charles Barkley made. And while the Rockets beat the Warriors in the regular season, I think, you know, two out of three times, They haven't had a series yet where they have to, and when I'm saying they, I'm saying Chris Paul and James Harden, get 25, 30 points a night and keep Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Klay Thompson from getting their averages too. And that's a, a formidable challenge for anybody, but I think for a team that likes to play like Houston does, 
making them spend energy on defense, making James Harden have to guard. Uh, you know, those ISO plays are incredible in the first and second quarter, but I think when you get into the second half, get into the fourth quarter, Golden State's moving the ball around, making you move your feet, wearing you out, and I think it catches up. Well, and I also think, look, I, I'm not the biggest fan of how the Rockets play. I think Harden's the MVP, and I think Chris Paul still has a lot left, and, and I like Capella, how he's transformed Gordon, even Gerald Green. But it's ISO heavy. It, it leads to a lot of jacking up shots that sometimes they can make, sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. I just think defensively, and, and Harden has improved, Paul still has something to give you, but you know, Paul's 33. You know, Eric Gordon's not, I wouldn't say in peak shape as well. It's hard to be running around chasing all these guys too, chasing Curry off screens, Clay when he gets going, and then Durant when he wants to play ISO ball, what do you do there? It's just, I think it's too much defensively. I think that's where, and as you know, as you just said, it bleeds into your offense. And I think that's it. And that's why the Warriors, who are lights out to start the second half, that's mm-hmm. when it gets to you. It's the start of the third quarter when the Warriors are locked in, ready to go, and Houston's still sucking wind. Even exactly. Exactly. Because they come out, and it seems like the net is the size of a swimming pool. Every time. Every time. <laughs> It's like yeah. we're, we're just and, expecting that 10-0 run to start yeah, the second half. Yeah, and I mean, they just they blow you out the gym before you can get a timeout call. to figure Like, before you're figuring out if you even need to call a timeout, they've run the score up. Do you think Iguodala not playing is going to be a big deal? Uh, I think so. You I think it's a catch-22. You played good defensively last game. Right. I think it's a catch-22, and this is something else that Chris Broussard brought up. You know, with Iguodala not playing, their wing players off the bench are really thin because they don't want to play Cook. So I think that it's weird because if you if you play him and you try to get this series over with and he gets further injured, then I think you do need him against the Cavs if it happens to get dicey. I think he needs to be healthy. Yeah. Uh, just as another body to throw LeBron, uh, just as somebody to come off the bench to be a wing player. So, I think it's, I think it's a tough question. I, I don't I don't know. Well, seven nothing run to start the game. I'm, I'm seeing that on my app right now for the Warriors. So, <laughs> we'll see yeah. what happens there. But I agree with you. I also do think. I mean, he was the main reason I think they didn't win the title in 2016. Him getting hurt in that series. Difference is now, obviously, they have Kevin Durant. It's a luxury. That would do most teams, but not the Golden State Warriors, of course. Mm-hmm. I think, look, I, I don't think we're in disagreement here at all. I think the Warriors are going to win this series. But I'd like to see them go and handle handle Houston in Game 5. What I don't want, Ryan, and I'll tell you that right now, worst case scenario would be the Warriors just don't show up and they think, oh, we got Game 6 in the bag. Even if they do, it's just not another thing. I mean, I'm speaking selfishly as a viewer, but I don't want to see the Warriors go to Houston and not handle business. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, if you're going to do it, just get it over with. And I don't think either of us think the Cavs have a chance against the war. That's either team problem. Well, maybe the Rockets, but definitely not the Warriors. <laughs> no, I think the Cavs could beat the Rockets, but I don't think they can beat the Warriors. I don't. They'd have a chance. I, I that the defense would worry me though, because you know, when Houston gets going, right? Like, can, can the Cavs D up that team? I have no doubt well, they could score, but could they D up all those weapons, all those shooters? Could you do it with Kyle Korver 
on the court, and J.R. Smith, who's been lazy or beyond belief defensively this year. I think he has been lazy beyond belief, but what I will say is that in the finals, and obviously this is hypothetical, but I think in the finals, with you're not worried about the next series. There, there's nothing like that. I think LeBron will spend a majority of his minutes guarding James Harden, and I think if he's able to neutralize James Harden, the Rock, there's nothing the Rockets can do. Nothing. Because they're not going to be able to generate offense anywhere. And I think they've really? we've seen so, this. I mean, this is a hypothetical that I don't think we're ever going to have to. <laughs> yes. I think it's no. to see. But I think Chris Paul can generate offense then. I think that's why they got him. So I think that strategy played, would probably be true. terrible. But, I mean, this is Golden Ooh, his State. Eyes I mean, would light up. His eyes would light up if George Hill's guarding him in the ISO. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, it's true. Rodney it's Hood, true. let's go. Jordan Clarkson, he would. He couldn't wait. I mean, he'd been waiting oh. his whole life for that. So Rodney Hood even play? Well, no, he probably <laughs> um, But, again, fun hypothetical to think probably yeah. would not happen. Ryan Soul's Money Mitch Effect. Before I let you go, I want to sneak some football in here. I got to say, it's been a month since the draft. I'm starting to drink that Baker Kool-Aid. Man, I, I haven't touched the Baker Kool-Aid yet. I uh, literally, I'm looking at this as like a taste test. I got the cups of all these rookies Kool-Aid filled, and I haven't taken a sip out of either. You haven't spit any out yet. That's yeah, good. Yeah, I, okay. yeah, I haven't spit any out yet. I'll tell you this: I hope Baker Mayfield works out. You know, because you're my guy. I, I, you know, I root for the Browns low key just because I want to see you happy. Mm-hmm. But, man, I just, like, and we talked about this, you know, in other conversations. I think you put that Georgia tape on, especially in the second half. They clamped down on him. That's what you're going to get in the NFL. And I don't think he's ready to start right now. I don't think Tyrod Taylor, as is mediocre as a lot of people think he is, especially if these other pieces that they brought in are as advertised and as played as well as they did on their other teams, I think Tyrod should start let Baker grow. But um, to me, you know, that, that that's a that's a put butts in the seats type of pick. The Kool-Aid I'm really not drinking as Denzel Wards. And I know you're an Ohio State guy, but I you I you know who my guy was right there. I know, I know. And and I would counter that by saying the uh, the Browns secondary was just god awful last year, especially at the corner position. So I get why the moves were made. If Baker is able to compete for the job and win it, by all means. But you know my stance of being conservative with these quarterbacks. So I think it's yeah. great that they got a guy like Tyrod who will give you something. Not no one's asking for or expecting all pro level play, but you know we'll give you something that you can hang your head on, and you don't have to rush him out there. I just think they believe in him. They're going to give him a chance to compete. He. He's treating it like a professional. It's sad I'm at that place, right? <laughs> or that's what I'm just looking happy at. But you know, and I and I say that in tongue in cheek a little bit because it's still way too early to gauge these guys. But I'm optimistic that they got a guy in the front office now in John Dorsey who's made good football decisions in the past, and maybe the most important thing, by all accounts, is not getting interfered with by ownership and upper management. So right. at least that to be happy with. I agree. I agree. Where do you so, think uh, – one of the, probably the last thing here. Where do you think Des is going to end up? You know, I really don't know. I think he could end up on the couch. I think he could end up in Green Bay. I really, outside of Green Bay, I really don't see another team. I think maybe he 
could have worked out something with the Ravens and said, hey, maybe towards camp, if you haven't gotten any offers anywhere else and you want to test the market, maybe they said we'll bring you back in considering they he had an offer on the table from right. them. But I couldn't see the Ravens have the leverage in that position. I couldn't see that, especially they'll probably offer Des less money. I'll kind of throw the question back to you. Who does Des Bryant benefit in the NFL right now? (laughs) It's not Green Bay, and I agree with what Aaron Rodgers said. I just don't see the fit there. They cut Jordy Nelson. They have all of these weapons that are younger but are different. Des is not a deal. He doesn't fit what they do, and they got Jimmy Graham now. So I don't don't see the fit in the offense with with Cobb and Graham. Well, it's funny because I look at it as the opposite because I figured Adams, Cobb, and Graham would stretch the field. More Adams and Cobb. But I'm looking at when you get down to the red zone, Dez and Graham one-on-one is still going to be tough. Is it, is uh, it tough so, for Dez one-on-one now? I don't know. Well, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. But I figure in the red zone, there's less space for him to try to get by cornerbacks that are faster than him. I was just shocked. He didn't take the Ravens deal by my by what I heard was that he wanted a shorter, higher-value deal to prove himself. Yeah, yeah. I he don't he, know he, what that market looks like. That's what yeah. I'm kind of struggling with. Well, he wants like one year, $12 million. Who's going to give him that? Exactly, man. I mean, that's he wants basically the value he got on his old contract in a one-year set. And the last couple years of his contract didn't work out so well. It, it's I, I'm intrigued because I do think that there's still something there. I just don't know. And you're going to have questions because he does tend to pout at times. When things mm-hmm. are going his way, what is the best fit for him? I think ultimately somebody will kick the tires and, and, and see what's there. But I'm fascinated because it's it's a pretty quick fall, and I do still think there's time, obviously, to, to make an impact. But it's a pretty quick demise of Des and Dallas. Yeah, there is. I mean, it was quick. And I think the Cowboys handled it wrong just from a personal personnel standpoint. And I think uh, they kind of did themselves a disservice. But by losing Witten and losing Dez, you know, there is a such thing as getting better by losing players. And as good as Jason Witten was and as good as Dez Bryant was even at his peak, both those guys were not speed guys at this point. I think the Cowboys got faster by losing them. Certainly appears that way. Uh, I know, Ryan, before I let you go, I know you – Hate the Cowboys. Call them the cow- Cowgirls multiple times. Mm-hmm. So you gonna tip your hat to Jason Witten on his career? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, I okay. mean, I figured. Yeah, of course. Like, I mean, and there are very few. And I mean, maybe Treyman's the only one, but there are very few individual cow cowboy players that I don't like. I just never liked the organization. I don't like the fans, but the individual players. I definitely tip my hat too, and Witten's. Uh, you know, I don't think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's a Hall of Famer. That's going to be a hot debate. I would put him in on the first ballot, but if we're predicting it, and we'd have to look at who's still out there and, and what happens, but yeah, he was a beast. Showed up, played, oh, he was. came to work every day. Uh, was a warrior, and we'll see how he does on Monday Night Football. Hey, if you want a job in media, I think that's the lesson, right? Play for the Cowboys. <laughs> oh, 100%. I mean, Tony Romo just opening the doors for people. Oh, even before him, Aikman, Irvin. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. true. 
but yeah, uh, Dion too. Dion counts. He goes to those Cowboys alumni games as well. Oh, I mean, he parlayed into a reality <laughs> TV show. <laughs> oh, yeah, my favorite Dion was sorry. It was uh, somebody called him out. No, he, he I, I forget who it was. He ranked safeties. It was a Titan safety. I can't think of his name right now. He ranked safeties and. He didn't realize that guy was a player. He thought he was a fan. He's like, he's like fans don't know. And he's like, the guy was like second team all pro last year. So wow, uh, got to stay up on a little bit better, Dion. But all right, yeah, a little bit better. Ryan Souls, this was fun. We'll have to catch up sometime. Uh, you know, sure, post final, see what goes on there. But best of luck with everything. Until next time, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. That's it for today's episode of The Money Mitch Effect. Thanks again to both guests, Joe Crisali and Ryan Souls. Thanks to Tim Adams for supplying the beats and Brian Nelson for supplying the album artwork, the track artwork, the logo, you know. And thank you for everybody out there listening. This was episode 146 in the series. If you like the show, share it, leave a review or a rating on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play. I'm on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21, and the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page has been active for about two months now, so check that out as well. One more episode this week, a French Open preview that might drop on Saturday or Sunday, the start of the tournament, but we have to talk about the French Open. On the dog at number 11, Serena Williams has returned to tennis. Who's the favorite on the women's side? A lot of, a lot of interesting draws there as well. All that this weekend. Be on the lookout for that. I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, keep enjoying sports. And check out that Game 7 tonight. I bet it'll pique your interest. This was a great show. Talk to you guys later.